by for Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with your host, Drew Kirby. Hey, this is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm Travis Denning. Hey, I'm Aaron Lewis. Hey, it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsick. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. And we're back with Wyoming Game and Fish on Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. And we're at the part of the season where you can see the rifle season about to come. And, Janet, I know that you and your family are uh, ready to go out and do some hunting. And I know Ben Fitz already been out doing some hunting this year. And it's a rough time for everybody for, uh, well, just because we all want to get to the same end result to have our freezers full. Exactly. And, you know, that is the key to um, the reason why my family hunts. And so last year we got skunked. And so I'm hoping that we have a more successful year this year. And so I'm looking um, to hear Justin tell us how great hunting season is going to be this fall, because that's the information that I really want to hear so (laughs) that I can have a freezer full. Justin, last week we talked uh, about the check stations and how you guys get to chat with hunters and and anglers that are out on on the ground. And how's the report been so far? I mean, have have people been pretty happy with the way the seasons have, have gone so far? Here's where we're at. We've had antelope seasons in our region, like west of Casper. They've been open since September 15th. We had some other openers um, just on Monday the 25th. So it kind of depends on where you're at. So, so far, antelope hunters have been have been fairly happy. If there's any complaint, it's been pretty darn warm. We've had warmer Septembers than right. this, but we've certainly had a lot cooler ones. So, you know, it's been a little tough by 10 o'clock in the morning and when it's already in the 70s and antelope are bedding down. You know, as we talked earlier in the year, Drew, like our antelope actually pulled through the winter better than we thought they were going to. So antelope hunter, you know, antelope numbers have been kind of a pleasant surprise for a lot of folks. We've had a lot of folks say, man, I'm seeing a lot more antelope than I thought it would. I think northwest of town, it's still a little light in area 73, but in the other areas, it's been been pretty good. And of course, you know, the same thing that Justin always says, and I want to reiterate that here, is it depends on where you're hunting. Um, you know, we've had reports from across the state, other check stations that have said, you know, harvest has been down maybe a fourth of what of people have been coming through of what they normally see that have been successful. So again, you know, while the Casper area um, really pulled through well, some other places in the state, as you know, have not. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's it's I'm sure it's, you know, folks are going to are seeing already a lot less antelope in places like southwest Wyoming and that sort of thing. So as we progress through, uh, you know, we're just a week or two away from rifle season for elk coming in. And, and I know there are a lot of people chomping at the bit. And how are we looking uh, in some of the hot spots for elk? Well, really, really good. And, of course, archery season has been underway all September. So in places, there have been plenty of bow hunters out. What a, what a beautiful September to be bow hunting. Nice camping weather, that sort of thing. You know, elk numbers are always solid, you know, and, and really in most all of the state. Um, elk opportunities are, are really good. In fact, we have a lot of rifle seasons in, here in the Casper area that open October 1st. Yeah, I would say nothing's really changed. If anything, in most of our herds, we got more bull elk than ever. Um, just trying to trying to stay ahead of, of burgeoning elk populations and um, not overcrowd the public lands too much. 
how do you see the deer uh, season going? I know that, that that was one of the species that there was reduced number in licenses because of situations where the numbers are kind of low in areas. But uh, around our area, are we looking good? I know you, we've got the, the the west side there that that you guys are doing a lot of the checks on and making sure that those herds are in good shape. It's hard to paint an overly rosy picture with deer numbers about anywhere in the state or the Western U.S. for that matter, as far as mule deer goes. You know, our mule deer in here in the Casper area definitely pulled through the winter okay. I mean, just fine. Deer numbers are down, so it depends on what you want to compare it to. If you want to compare it to the 80s and 90s, you're still going to be disappointed. Um, but over the last several years, um, they seem to be holding steady. And I've actually seen in here just in the last couple of weeks out early mornings, checking antelope hunters. I've actually been seeing quite a few deer and actually quite a few fawns. So there's a little bit of optimism there um, that I, I think uh, I think we might be set to, to grow deer numbers just a little bit. It'll depend on how this coming winter goes. S- certainly animals are in excellent shape after this summer. So they're entering the winter and as good a physical nutritional condition as you can be. So a little bit of good news on the horizon from that respect. One thing that we've been hearing a lot about, because last year the winter was, it ended up being a heck of a winter. And they're talking where this winter is going to maybe even be earlier than in the past. And do you really foresee that maybe we're going to have some some big issues this year? I guess time will tell. Yeah. you know, you know There's oh. a lot of great things that come out of having a good wet winter and a lot of that stuff is is forage for the animals and so you know there was a lot of great grass production good sage uh, brush leaders for you know food for all the animals to eat and so those that that were able to make it through last winter really are going into this winter in much better condition so habitat is key at this point and we just hope that you know we have another winter that kind of uh, maybe gives them a bit of a break for the the critical part when they they need a little bit of a break um, and, you know, a lot of um, the, the problem that happens in the Casper area is when we get those snows and then it crusts over and they're not able to get down to that forage. So we just kind of hope that maybe we have not a lot of frost or not a lot of freezing of the snow and um, melting and freezing and melting. And so just kind of like Justin said, time will tell. But know that going in has been a really great summer um, great production for all of the food that those animals need. You know, uh, earlier uh, this month, we did a, a quick survey on what wild game meat was the most popular. Would you would you want to take a guess at which wild game meat was the most popular? Well, it's never my favorite, but I'm guessing elk was the most fantastic. Elk was the, by, a, by quite a long shot. And then uh, we had to, we just clumped, the uh, the deer side together because there's the white tail option and and there's mule deer and then antelope came in but I feel like that probably is just because there's the option of lots of people getting antelope but then I was kind of surprised that moose was so far down the line do you think moose was so far down the line because it's so rare to actually get a a moose draw 
Well, and, well have you ever had moose drew? <laughs> I'll no, just say I, that. I haven't. No, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot that goes into care of game meat. And I think a lot of times with moose, it does end up being a little bit tougher for various reasons. But I do think a lot of it is that not all of us have the opportunity to hunt moose. So when you are voting, you know, you're polling from a much smaller pool of people that would vote for moose just because not all of us have ever had that opportunity. Well, and the other thing about that is, is like, I mean, I was lucky enough to have a moose tag two years ago and it was excellent. It was my wife's favorite um, big game meat that we've had, but the vast majority of moose harvested in the state are mature bulls. Yeah. So they're going to be tougher anyway, versus we, you know, with deer, elk, antelope, you know, folks have harvested does or cows or young bulls or young bucks and that sort of thing. And so they can be really good too. But, you know, like you said, though, it's also a meat care thing too. So for example, antelope gets a bad rap all the time. And it is true that antelope can be a little bit, gamier tasting you know or stronger tasting than than deer and elk and moose but in my experience most of the time that people say they don't like antelope it's because it's 85 degrees out they're trying to harvest five antelope in the same day and the first one in the morning's been in the back of a truck for eight hours they drug it across the, the sage brush yeah and so, but oh, so yeah. when folks but when folks skin those antelope get them on ice get them cooled down right away um man antelope is as, is as good as any of the other stuff and an antelope backstrap on a grill is arguably one of the better pieces of game meat in North America. So antelope is absolutely pronghorn, my favorite animal to to eat. And I'm lucky enough to have come from a, a hunting family who has spent years and years and decades out in the field. And um, many years ago, my family started I don't know what you want to say. They they have this great skinning rack that you can mount to the front of your truck. Um, so they get these fantastic bumpers all welded up and, and have a skinning rack. And so when we harvest our antelope, we're able to hang it immediately, skin it immediately and let it cool. And the difference that that makes is absolutely 100% fantastic. And we've even had, you know, folks to the house doing little samples and, and stuff of different meat. And I can trick a lot of my friends that will not eat eat game meat because uh, they don't know the difference. So a lot of it is when you learn how to cook it correctly, when you learn how to take care of it correctly, um, any piece of, of game meat um, I think can be pretty fantastic. And don't forget the health aspect of it. You know, it's it's all organic. You know where it's coming from. And right. it's pretty fantastic. Well, and, and then I've heard that, you know, cause I've, I've never shot an antelope or, or any of that, but depends on how the antelope is when you when you kill that that antelope. So if they're maybe running and their adrenaline is pumping, that 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 has a little to do with that gamey taste as well. Is that is that? I think that's a little bit of a wives' yeah, tale, honestly. I, I mean, you know, depending on how quickly an animal dies after after you shoot it, you know, I mean, adrenaline can surge at that point as well. And I, I think it's mo mostly about post-harvest meat care and getting it cooled right away. That sort of, I think that's a much, much, I think it's much more important, I guess, as far as preserving the quality and the taste of the meat. I do think that, that antelope does get a bad rap because maybe one person had, uh, you know, one that was really, really gamey and, and then it just turned them off for the, the rest of the time. But every time I've eaten antelope, it, it's been good. I mean, it's really been tasty. So. Like I said, it's always my favorite. Yeah. And sometimes, it's, like Janet touched on too, it's also knowing how to cook it. A lot of folks, I think, 
you know, especially like a steak on a grill. One one common mistake people make with with big game meat, it's so lean. I mean, there's virtually no fat on it, and is that they slow cook it and they grill it. It's really important with those those lean meats to to flash cook stuff hot, fast, and and it it preserves the juices inside a whole lot better, and it, it makes a world of difference. Medium rare is the way to go on on a lot of that, isn't it? You know, and there's actually there's a lot of really cool. We're, we're certainly not out here to promote other people's <laughs> books, but there's a lot of really cool cookbooks out there these days that specialize in, that have recipes that are tailored towards wild game and cooking wild game. And man, every, like Hank Shaw's and some of those, those are some fantastic yeah. recipes. So Absolutely. Spend some time, do some research. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to holler because we all have great recipes where and, we can even have little children eating rabbits. And don't forget about the birds. I mean, yeah. you know, when you ask, you ask a uh, favorite game meat, if, if I had to tell you right now, my favorite game meat, it's hands down, it's rough grouse. I mean, a, a nice young rough grouse is the finest table fare in North America, as far as I'm concerned. Now, would so you game birds are really good too? Would you prepare that like you would, you know, prepare a, a chicken or or something like that? Just a rotisserie, maybe? Oh, pretty much. I mean, with with game birds, you know, it's not you're not worried about cooking things hot and fast. I mean, you would you would cook them just like you would any kind of chicken or Cornish game hen or whatever, but. All any any recipe you like for the you know for fowl I guess works well for game birds. And when in doubt, douse it in Frank's Red Hot. <laughs> Life will be good. <laughs> and the more whiskey you drink while you're cooking it up, the better it tastes at the end. <laughs> they each their own, right? That's right. Well, and, you know, and one thing that I really want people to to know is know exactly what you need to do after you harvest your animal. You know, like you're talking, if you if you take care of it, you're gonna you know have a better result and a, a better experience with that. Yeah, and it's you know it's kind of funny. You could ask a hundred different hunters, and you might get ninety eight different answers on on how to do some of this stuff. You know, for example, I, I cut my own stuff up myself. I, as long as the temperatures allow and night times are cool enough. I mean, I'll, I hang my stuff for two full weeks, even to where even a little mold might even show up on the outside. But I, I think it makes a huge difference, but, um, but others they, call may that, not agree. they call that Wagyu in like the, the fancy terms, right? So I think we're okay there. Wagyu, huh? Yeah. Oh. as always of course if you have any questions game and fish always good to to answer it up and you can always hit up wgft.wild.gov to find out how to contact them guys good luck if you're heading out and uh we'll talk to you soon thanks drew thanks drew it's wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors it's Drew sitting along Brian Woodward from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. And boy, Brian, it's a busy time as elk season is fully underway now. We've got a lot of uh, rifle seasons that are in. Some are coming in and some that will be in within the next week. Yeah, and we're uh, we, uh, seeing some great photos of some uh, great animals that have been harvested and some good stories to go along with them. Yeah, over the summer we got to fish with, uh, with our buddy Noah. And uh, Noah's sister just outdid him. Well, she uh, she uh, 
shot a really nice bull <laughs> a couple of days ago for sure. <laughs> uh, and and those are the stories where I'm getting a lot are people that are out for the first time doing their hunting or getting ready to go out on the first time and maybe not knowing exactly what to do. And here at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports, you, you guys have a, a, a wealth of knowledge and, and all the experience and supplies that you need. Yeah, you know, and we're talking to a lot of people that are from out of state and they're working with some of these outfitters in the area. And uh, it's kind of nice to just hear that, you know, how, how, how pleased they are with the amount of merchandise and the quality of merchandise that we do carry. Because we don't, you know, we kind of take it for granted ourselves, especially me being here every day. But, um, you know, to be able to walk somebody through and say, yep, here's the pack you need. Here's the, the yeah. game bags you need. Here's the scents you need. You know, here's some uh, gloves when you're cleaning, that, that kind of stuff. And then just working with people to make sure that they, they do get what they need. So you were talking about going and, and helping pack out an elk. This, and you were like, oh, you got to have the right pack. Uh, we, we talked a lot about when you're getting ready for season to know what you have in your pack. But to know the difference between the packs is pretty important. Yeah, just obviously, you know, there's going to be some day packs, but then you might, you know, especially if you're going to be, you know, we had to hike in about from where we parked uh, side by sides, you know, another two miles. So we had to get that animal from the, the kill site back to the side by sides. Um, and that requires, you know, a lot of legwork, a lot of, uh, you know, deboning and, you know, just cutting, cutting everything down so that they'll fit into the packs and to have the right pack that puts the, the right weight on your hips and not maybe a little off your shoulders. Uh, makes that trip a lot more, uh, you know, pleasant. Yeah, and you're talking two miles in, and that's just to the animal. So if you have to go in to, and even help debone or quarter up, I mean, that that's a heck of a process. Yeah, you know, two miles in, two miles out. And, you know, a lot of guys will say, well, that's not that far. Well, it really isn't. I mean, there's a lot of guys that are in real deep, you know, yeah. five, six, seven, ten miles. And so uh, just to be prepared and make sure that, you know, you've got your knives with you, you know, and, and, and everything that you possibly need. You know, my buddy was up there with his 12-year-old daughter. So, you know, she's, uh, you know, probably 70 pounds soaking wet. So having, uh, you know, some help where you can uh, call some buddies to, to get that thing packed in and packed out uh, and uh, just make it, you know, a successful hunt for you. And, you know, even if, if you get that call and, and you're the person that's going to go help out, it's really good to know exactly where the people are and then know where you're going with maps. You know, we talk about maps mm -hmm. being really important, especially with property lines and, and crossing over. You don't want to do that. Yeah, with Onyx Maps, you know, you can share locations. And, uh, you know, in this case, you know, he was able to meet us at the, the main road and then uh, get us back in to, to help him out. So, um, but, you know, it, it's a process, you know. I mean, uh, one person to quarter out an elk is a lot of work. It sure is. And you can learn about that and everything else you need here at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports for elk hunting. Maybe going on, on a deer hunt or an antelope hunt. You know, antelope, they, all three of them are a little bit different in the way that uh, the type of hunt they are and and really the supplies that you need for each yeah and we've seen a lot of guys that are out here with um, some of the local outfitters and you know they're out here for a three or four day trip and they're you know the opportunity to shoot a, a antelope or pronghorn you know they, they don't have those opportunities in their country so some of them are spending a lot of time you know picking some some great ones uh bob's wife out at riverbend ashley she shot an antelope that scored right around 86 wow. which is just i mean a toad um and so you know the amount of time you put in and and the preparation on the hunt uh can definitely uh, benefit you in the long run 
Sean, you and I are going to go on an elk hunt here, and uh, we both have cow-calf tags. And then once we quarter those up and start the processing, uh, that could be a little different. Well, really, preference comes a lot in there, too. Do you want more steaks? Do you want it jerky? Do you want a burger? So mm-hmm. there really are, are options when it comes to that. And doing it yourself is an option, especially when you come in here. Yeah, so obviously the last, I don't know, 10 years, you know, I kind of learned pretty quickly that, you know, to get into a processor, sometimes a little bit of challenge, uh, depending on the time, but you know, it, it does, it is kind of uh, costly to have your animal processed. Uh, and obviously they do a great professional job. Um, but you know, through YouTube videos and buddies yeah. and, uh, just some friends, you know, purchasing a nice grinder and some of that equipment that, uh, can actually make the job, uh, easy at home. And so, uh, we've been doing that and it, it turns into a kind of a, a fun, fun little event for a few buddies to, you know, process an elk a week or whatever you do. Now I know that, uh, you have the access to a cooler, so you're able to keep it a little bit longer than someone else. But how long would you say to someone, you get your elk, you bring it in, it's in a cooler, you got it iced down. I mean, how long is it going to be good in that situation? You know, I'm probably not the best person to t- discuss that with. I don't I don't really know. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, when I've, when I've harvested an elk, it's been kind of later in the season, and I kind of just build an A-frame in my garage, and I'll, I'll hang those quarters in there. Um, they'll, they'll, uh, usually hang there for 10 days to two weeks, something like that. As long as it's nice and cool. Um, once, once we had these weathers, like we did, you know, last couple of weeks where it was in the seventies and eighties, you can't do that. So you, you pretty much need to get it down and get it processed pretty quickly. I think. So then uh, a Yeti or a Wild Gear big cooler would be perfect to, to store them in for temporary reasons because yeah. they, hold, they hold the ice for a long time. Though. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you'd have to have a pretty good-sized cooler depending on if you're deboning them or just going to quarter them. Um, you know, the, but they do make some awfully big coolers. You know, we've got some Grizzly coolers that are, I don't know, 400, you know, 400 cubic inches in them. So they, they, they'll hold a lot. Um, but, uh, yeah, keeping them cool, keeping them on ice, you know, letting them breathe, um, pretty important. And of course, get by here and check out Rocky Mountain Discount Sports for if you're going to quarter yours up and process it, you need the seasonings and you need the cooking utensils. They've got that, all those smokers. You've got a great line of smokers. You've even added some since last year. Yeah, we've um, pretty much always carried the Traegers. Just they seem to be kind of the the Cadillac of, of most grills, and they are just very reliable. I mean, we have a few small issues, but they're you know they're they're easily refixable. Re, uh, re, uh, this last year, we brought in the Pit Boss, and the Pit Bosses um, are also have been a, a fantastic uh, addition to our lineup. Uh, good quality, got some neat features that you know Traeger doesn't have, and um, yeah, they're, they're working great and uh, definitely worth the look. Come on out here and check it all out. Rocky Mountain Discount Sports on CY Avenue right here in Casper. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. It's Drew and Brian Woodward back at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. And, uh, Brian, just this week you got a chance to go out and uh, spend time on the water, and fishing's not done. We've talked about that quite a bit. It was a, a very chilly morning. I think it was uh, 37 when we got oh. on the water, uh, and we got on fairly early, right, pretty much at daybreak. Um, but it um, it did uh, warm up, and uh, it was a beautiful day, actually. When when you got on the water, it was 37 degrees. Did you get bites right away, or was it kind of a slow move? Oh no, yeah, we we got bites. I mean, first, second, third cast. I mean, it was yeah. I mean, right right off the bat, yeah, we were. 
um, down at Glendo and uh, fishing down towards the marina. And we um, good better quality than the last time I was there, I will say that. Not as many fish, but uh, we probably boated, you know, 20, 25 fish and, you know, good four or five hours. And uh, it, was, it was busy most of the time, so it was good. How are the water levels down there? Because we talked, I think, about a week or two ago that they plugged it back up. Uh, yeah, I, for me, I'm not down there enough uh, now that this time of year to really kind of notice a whole lot of difference. But I'm sure it, it you know, the numbers are on the on the Bureau of Rec side showing that they're going up. So, um, and we should start seeing, you know, water that's uh, coming out of Alcova start hitting that, and uh, that'll that'll bump it up a little bit as well. So. I had a couple of people ask me because they heard us talking about on the show last week about why they release water out of Alcova. And I thought, well, I mean, the obvious thing is to just bring the levels down for when ice comes on, right? Well, I think they just uh, kind of like the agreement with Bureau of Rec is that they just they'll bring it up in the summer as it's it's primarily for recreation. Mm-hmm. You know, Alcova is not really designed, you know, 100 percent for irrigation like, you know, some of these other reservoirs are. So they they have like a, a minimum recreation level. Level that they'll bring that up and obviously they people have docks and stuff in there so they got those docks have to be useful but then you know they bring that water down in the in the in the fall um i don't know exactly the, the entire purpose of that maybe it's so that they can provide a little bit more water downstream or maybe it's just so that uh the people that have docks and stuff can ha- you know have some time to do repairs on the docks and whatnot i, right. I don't know but um yeah, it's just that's been they've been doing that ever since I've been in Wyoming. So that's just the program. So fall time means lower water in Alcova and higher water in Glendo, and then we start doing the whole process over again. But still, you know, we have the other reservoirs like Boysen that is fishable still, and Pathfinder. You were there last week and got. Yeah, Path, Pathfinder still in the upper 60s, I believe, and I think uh, boys and reservoirs, you know, plumb in the 90s. So, yeah, there's plenty of water and there's plenty of good fishing to be done. We've, we've always talked about being prepared because, like you say, it was 37 when you started and probably 65 or 70 by the time you're done. So you're right. stripping off clothes at that point. Right. So being prepared in, in that is uh, is always a good situation. And we went out goose hunting last weekend. Right. And that's another situation where we got out there. It was a little bit chilly, but then by 830, it was hot and the sun was on our face. Yeah. And we uh, packed up and got out of there. Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> My eyeballs were burning. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, there's a just there's just so much to do this time of year. I mean, between bird hunting and upland and waterfowl and this big game stuff and fishing. I mean, uh, it's kind of hard to kind of hard to pick what you want to do. Yeah, no kidding. And you know, we were really talking a little bit when we were out on the uh, the goose blind this week about how the birds are moving but they're local birds and when we started to uh, breast them out you could really tell that there wasn't much fat on on those birds right now they're, the, they're yeah. not really they're not traveling birds they're they're golf course birds yeah, well, yeah exactly right <laughs> they, and if you've been out on a golf course you probably had to step over the crap a time or two but <laughs> yeah there is a ton of ton of birds on the golf courses how does the uh the northern weather that they've already had snow in some of the parts of wyoming in the north and and even montana i think they, they They've had quite a bit of snow. Will that be good for us when it comes to the birds? Yeah, I mean, 
you know, it's just that traditional migration, you know, once it gets cold enough, then they're going to start moving. In fact, when we were down at um, uh, Glendo this week, noticed a bunch of comorants that were all uh, heading south. So um, there's just certain things, just like doves and everything else. The doves, uh, we've had doves in Wyoming longer than than I can remember. And uh, talking to guys that are up north, they they still have doves up there. So, you know, those doves are going to still migrate down through Wyoming, whether they stay here very long or not, depends on how the weather is once they get here. But, um, you know, we don't see a big push out of like Montana until the Yellowstone River freezes up. And we're a long ways away from that. Right. We haven't even had our first freeze, which we're about three weeks behind schedule on when it comes to the freeze here in Wyoming. Good. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or is that, oh, man, it's going to hit us once and then right. it's not going to stop. Right. That's, that's one of those things. But uh, no matter what you're doing this fall, make sure you get out, enjoy it, and stop by uh, Rocky Mountain Discount Sports to get yourself all geared up. Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. Welcome back to Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. I know there are lots of hunters that are out and about out in the field and then throughout the rest of fall and early part of 2024. A lot of elk hunters and deer hunters and antelope hunters and moose hunters and bear hunters all will be out and uh, and going for that big game to fill the freezer and you know if you shoot an animal and you have problems finding that animal that could be the biggest fear that a hunter has you don't want to uh, maim an animal you don't want to hurt an animal you don't want to not be able to find an animal so you got to find it so what do you do you can call rocky mountain big game recovery and we have Scott Gillespie with us. And, Scott, we always like talking to you and appreciate you coming on. Thanks a lot for having me, Drew. Now, you guys have been in, in business for a, a few years now, and and it's really nice to look at the webpage, which is RockyMountainBigGameRecovery.org, and see that the number of uh, those trackers is really growing. You're up to, to 17 different trackers now. Actually, we have about 25 trackers that are that are members of the organization. Uh, 17 of them, I believe, um, wanted to have their um, their their contact information on our map, which is on our website. I have three trackers, or we have three trackers that came from east of the Mississippi River that are actually going to be out here. Um, helping us try to recover some of these big game animals here in the month of September. Wow. So they're coming from all over the United States to be part of this group. And, you know, the hunting situation here in the Rocky Mountain region is the best in the country. There's no doubt about it because there's so many opportunities for people to hunt big game. And since you guys have been doing this, uh, what species of animal has been the, the biggest that you guys have had to go in and track? It's across the board. You know, um, very, very rarely do I get an antelope call. Um, you know, I think I maybe had, this will be my sixth year of doing this, and I maybe have only done two. And the reason is, is usually antelope go down pretty easy once they've been hit plus they're in wide open country so right. even if they run a mile and fall over you you really don't need to call in a tracker to find them september it's primarily elk i get my fair share of uh, mule deer calls too 
once September's over and we get into October and we start to get into the deer rut, uh, the phone starts ringing again, you know, at the end of October and through November. And, and uh, I've actually done tracks as late as January on elk, uh, late season elk. So it, it kind of depends on the time of the year, which animal that we get the most calls for. When you go out, and, and I know that you have done a splendid job with your dogs and making sure that your dogs are trained up, and you guys have a, a really good recovery rate, don't you? Yeah, you know, if, if, if you know, when, when we get phone calls from hunters that need help, you know, I got a list of questions that I start asking guys, and, it, you know, it, it can take me 15, 20 minutes to interview a hunter, you know, and determine um, if I think that that, it, that it's a lethal hit, I have the time to possibly go out there and, and do the recovery. You know, the, the percentage rate across the nation of guys doing this is about 40%. I would say that on average, I might be running as high as 50 and 60% on recovery. But if I did take every track, it, it would probably be more like 40%. You know, there's a lot of different factors that, that play in. Um, private property lines stop us quite a bit. Could be weather, uh, could be nightfall. There's just several factors that, that can play into to not being able to get a recovery. You had mentioned that you ask questions, and you guys have a great section on your website that has those those you know facts that you need to know that will at least help you in your recovery mission guys get into the moment um you kind of want to turn your mind into maybe a recorder is what is actually happening you know i'd like to know what equipment you were using where how far the shot was uh how the animal was was standing when you took the shot. Was he quarter and two? Was he quarter and away? Was it perfectly broadside? Was he looking directly at you? Um, and then another, the big question is, is how long did you wait once you took the shot to start tracking? Because that, that can, that, that's a major factor. Um, you know, I try to tell guys, you know, if you, if you take a broadside shot and, um, with a bow and you double lung him, um, very rarely you're going to give me a call. A lot of times you're going to see the animal go down. You know, as the arrow moves back, you know, a liver shot or or maybe you're way far back and, and, and you hit him, the animal, right in front of the hams, you know, in a, in a gut shot. Those gut, shot, gut shots can be very recoverable. Um, if you give the animal time to expire, and I tell guys, uh, you know, the, you know, on liver shots, I want them to wait at least eight hours before you go in there and start tracking yourself. Maybe a shot a little bit farther back. Let's wait 12 to 24 hours before we go in there. And we'll usually find that animal within two to 400 yards of where you pick the shot. And we're talking with Scott Gillespie, Rocky Mountain, big game recovery. And we were talking at the beginning of uh, our conversation here that there are up to 25 trackers that are out to help out. And in Wyoming, we have a really good number of trackers that are in state. So where you're in northern Colorado, if uh, one of the trackers that you contact is right here in, in Wyoming, boy, that really cuts down on, on that response time, doesn't it? When somebody calls 
with me for a track. Let's say I'm, I'm here in Wellington, Colorado, just south of Cheyenne. Let's say somebody calls me from Laramie Peak. You know, that's a three, four-hour drive for me to get up there. I might interview the hunter and determine whether um, it's a track that we, we possibly want to take. If I can't make it, uh, all of us keep in contact. I will just send out a group text to all the trackers. Hey, I, I have a guy in on Laramie Peak. I think his his elk is probably dead. Uh, is that if anybody's interested in taking the track, here's his phone number. So if you call me and you're not just talking to me, you're talking to about 25 different trackers right now. So when the initial contact is made, if you know they go to RockyMountainBigGameRecovery.org and uh, make sure you have the, the numbers in your phone, make sure you have a checklist. You can download those, uh, the questions you're going to ask them so that you can kind of go over that and, and answer the questions before they call in their mind so that they're prepared for you. You know, they're not, they're not going to get every question that I'm going to ask them, you know, and, and I'm going to try to determine whether I think it's, it's a fatal hit if, if we have time to uh, uh, come out there and possibly do the recovery. I mean, this isn't our full-time job. All of us, all of us trackers have, have regular jobs, so that, that's a major factor. You know, you've got to catch us at the right time to come out and do it. So, you know, another big thing I want to kind of mention on, on the show here is if you're listening to this, you know, if this is something that you're really interested in possibly doing, that's another thing we do with our Facebook page is, is uh, trying to train, you know, help other people train their dog and uh, becoming a tracking team and, and joining the group. Very cool stuff. Uh, Scott Gillespie, again, uh, Rocky Mountain Big Game Recovery. Go to their website, which is RockyMountainBigGameRecovery.org. Get all the information that you need. And, and Scott, I, I do appreciate you being back on the show and, and continued success, and I hope you have a, a very eventful year. Hey, I appreciate it, Drew. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with Drew Kirby. If you have a question, want to make a comment, or have an idea for a show topic, message us on the My Country mobile app. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors.